Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part three of his teaching, Healing is Yours. This morning, we're going to get back to our series called Healing is Yours. It's been a few Sundays since we left off, so here's a quick recap of what we covered in part one and part two. In part one, God wants you well, we talked about how Jesus was the express image of the Father, the exact duplicate, the perfect imprint of the Father God. So if you want to know anything about how God feels about sickness and disease and healing, All you need to do is look at the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He never turned anyone away. He never told anybody he's putting sickness on them to teach them a lesson. None of that garbage theology is found in the Bible. In part two, healing in the redemption, we talked about how Jesus paid the price in the redemption for the forgiveness of our sins and for the healing of our bodies. This morning is part three of the series. Healing in biblical types. And I think you'll enjoy hearing some of the things that aren't talked about a lot when it comes to the subject of divine healing. I want to talk to you this morning about biblical types and shadows. If you really study the Old Testament, it will become evident after a while that there are symbols or pictures that you find embedded in the stories, in the construction of the tabernacle, for example, or the the, the temple or the priestly rituals that all point to the future finished work of the cross. St. Augustine put it this way, The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Very aptly put. Amen. So these types and shadows, as they have sometimes been called, they point to the completed work of Jesus in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen? Let's look at some scriptures that bear that out. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. This will be in the Amplified Version. Just listen to the reference here and look for the word shadow, which appears many times in the next three or four verses. Therefore, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath, Such things are only the shadow of things that are to come, and they have only a symbolic value. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it, belongs to Christ. So biblical types and shadows point to Christ and His body. Amen? Hebrews 8, 4 and 5, New King James. Talking about Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Everything you find in the Holy of Holies, in the holiest place here on earth, represented something that actually existed in heaven. Amen. They were types and shadows of the real thing. Hebrews 10.1. 1. 
For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, listen, these animal sacrifices are only a temporary solution to cover sin for one year, and then you've got to do it all over again. But one day, these types and shadows are pointing to the one who would come and be the perfect sacrifice, whose blood would be shed once and for all. Amen? So when you talk about shadows, one that I think about being a former Air Force pilot is that uh, many times if you're around an air base or uh, a city airport, you could be walking along a sidewalk and a low-flying aircraft will fly over your head, and the first thing you see... The first thing you hear is the sound, but the first thing you see is the shadow moving across the ground. Now, it is not the airplane, but from that shadow, you can kind of get a feel for what the airplane looks like and obviously which way it's traveling. But you have to go from the shadow and point to the source to see the real thing, see what the airplane looks like and which way it's going. Amen. The types and the shadows point to the real deal, the real thing. Amen. Glory to God. So I want to introduce you to a few of the many types that can be found in the Old Testament that point to the healing that was poured out in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number one, I want to talk about the bitter waters made sweet. The bitter waters made sweet. Amen. The thing that I like about this type and this shadow is it represents the first revelation given to the children of Israel after they came out of the Red Sea experience and went into the wilderness. The first revelation of the redemptive nature of God involved healing. The very first thing they learned about God in Exodus 15, 26 is when he said, I am the Lord that heals you. Amen. And so... This says to me that healing is important to God if it was the first thing that he told them about when they came into the wilderness. Amen. But to really get a feel for what I'm talking about, we need to examine Exodus 15, 26 in full context. So let's read Exodus 15, verse 22 through 26 and see what we can learn. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, and the Hebrew word for Marah means bitter. Verse 24, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you." It is my redemptive nature to want to heal my children. Amen. So it's clear to me 
And it should be clear to anybody, if you read this a couple of times, that the bitter waters in this passage are a type of sickness and disease. You know, think about the toll that sickness and disease takes on our society. There are millions of sick people all over the land. Trillions of dollars are spent on health care every year. And with a culture of unbelief unchecked by most Christian teaching, the devil uses sickness and disease to sap the life out of families, Christian and non-Christian alike. Not only does sickness and disease inflict physical pain and suffering and grief, but the financial toll can be devastating. Oftentimes, a family spends their entire life savings in the hopes that their loved one might be spared from some horrible disease. So sickness, disease, and the untimely death of a loved one can literally tear a family apart, a bitter experience to say the least. So after the tree was cast into the bitter waters and the waters were made sweet, the Lord establishes an ordinance and He told the Israelites what they needed to do to secure the blessings of healing and health. Amen. The fact that a tree was cast into the bitter waters is an obvious reference to the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Amen. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing the type here? So Christ took the bitterness of sickness and disease upon that cross and gave us the sweetness of health and healing instead. Amen. Glory to God. I want you to keep your spiritual antenna tuned and follow in my frequency because we're going to pray for the sick after this and people are going to be healed. Number two, I want to talk about the law of the leper. And this is really fascinating. And it will probably answer some questions you've had when you read about Jesus dealing with lepers in his life in ministry. The law of the leper. Let's begin with Matthew 8, 2 through 4, New King James. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now this is not where, what we're talking about today, but I cannot pass this by without talking about this. This is the only guy in the Bible that outright questioned the Lord concerning the will of God and healing. He said, if you are willing, I know you have the power, but if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing and I am able be cleansed. Amen. To me, that should shut the door on anybody that tries to tell you God heals sometimes and he doesn't other because it's not always his will. That's not the Jesus you find in the Bible. Verse 4, and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Think about that. You'll see that again. Luke chapter 17, verse 12 through 14. More lepers here. Also New King James. 
Talking about Jesus, it says, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Have you ever wondered why Jesus told these lepers to go show themselves to the priest? Anybody beside me ever wonder about that? Well, the answer can be found in the ceremonial ritual for the cleansing of the leper that you find in Leviticus chapter 14. So let's go to Leviticus 14 and read 1 through 7. There's more to this chapter, but this is all time will allow us to cover. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. I can hardly read that without starting to cry. The precious blood of Jesus being represented here. Verse 7, and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Amen. I feel freedom already just reading that. Amen. You know, the types here become obvious with a closer look at these verses. The bird that was killed has his blood spilled over running water. If you remember, John 19, verse 34, when the Roman soldier pierced Jesus' side with his spear, blood and water came out together. The cedar wood was a type of the cross, and scarlet was the color of royalty. So it's pointing to King Jesus. Amen. And the bird that was slain was a type of Jesus that was slain for us. Amen. The living bird, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop were all dipped in the blood of the bird that was killed over running water, probably in some kind of a bowl. The hyssop was a branch that had dense foliage and acted like a sponge, and they would use that sponge to sprinkle the leper that was to be cleansed with the blood of the sacrificed bird. Are you getting the picture here? Notice that the priest was to sprinkle the blood seven times upon the leper that was to be cleansed. Seven is God's number of completeness and speaks of the completeness of our redemption through the finished work of the cross. Nothing was left out. It was a complete work. Jesus paid the price for the redemption of our spirit, soul, and our body. Amen. He didn't leave anything out. Finally, listen, here's the cool part. I literally wept when I read this for the first time years ago. Finally, the bird that was dipped in the blood of the sacrificed bird was set free. An obvious type of the substitutionary sacrifice 
of Jesus Christ. He took our place on the cross. He died in our place. Once we immerse ourselves in the blood of Jesus, we are set free forever. Just like a bird set free in an open field. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now all these things were intended to be a testimony to the priest of who Jesus was. That's why he said, go show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them. Because he knew that they couldn't even initiate the ritual unless they first examined the lepers and saw that they were healed. And then the inevitable question would be, who healed you of your leprosy? Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah that was to come. You're a priest. You should know that. All these signs in this ritual that you're familiar with, they all point to the real thing who's on the earth right now. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So Jesus was the fulfillment of the types in the Levitical ceremony. Instead of the shadow, He was the real deal. He was the real thing. Amen. He was Yeshua, their Messiah, the one who would take away their sin and their sickness and disease too. No wonder the Scriptures say, after the Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts in chapter 6, it says a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith because they saw no doubt numerous lepers coming to have that cleansing ritual done on them And they all pointed to Jesus as the healer, the Savior, the Messiah. No wonder they came in droves to Jesus when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Amen. All right. I got myself happy. I don't know about y'all, but I preached myself happy. But we got one more type to go. Number three, the serpent of brass. This one's a little bit more subtle, but very powerful. The serpent of brass. One of the most amazing healing types in the Old Testament involves a bronze serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness by Moses. And this serpent is mentioned specifically by Jesus in relation to his soon coming crucifixion, leaving no doubt that sin and sickness and disease would both be dealt with on the cross. John 3 Verse 14 through 16, most of us just remember John 3.16, but I invite you to read the verses before and after to really get a good feel of what's being talked about in John 3.16. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's saying, just like the bronze serpent was lifted up, I have to be lifted up. Why? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life he says it twice for emphasis amen God's not looking to send people to hell he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance amen so this bronze serpent that Jesus was referring to is described in Numbers 21. If you would turn to Numbers 21, we're going to read verse 5 through 9. And I want you to really listen to the words as we go through this. I'm not going to comment because I really want it to sink in and then I'll comment. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. How many know that's, that's not a good idea? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. You know what he's talking about? They're talking about the manna. We hate this stuff. Angel food. We hate the food that angels eat. Give us something else. Okay, so this spells attitude with a capital A. Verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, you have to understand the, the nuances of the Hebrew language to realize that this was just basically God saying, okay, you're going you're gonna to complain. I'm going to lift my protecting hand so that you'll know how much I'm already working in your favor. So he lifted his hand, and the serpents that you know were already there started biting them. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Amen little preview here. This is an obvious type of the cross. Amen. And somebody on the cross. Well, the person who's on the cross evidently wants you to look at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, for griping and complaining, but also for your healing because you've been snake bit. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So. I'm confident this is a type of Christ because they look to him, like I said, for the forgiveness of their sins, their griping and complaining, but also to heal them of their snake bites. Okay? The only question that has to be resolved is, you mean a serpent is a type of Christ? Follow me. I have the answers for you. So in John chapter 3 that we read just a few minutes ago, Jesus makes it clear through reference to the bronze serpent that part of what he would accomplish in the finished work of the cross would be the healing of our bodies. Satan is repeatedly referred to as a serpent throughout Scripture. Genesis 3.1, Revelation 12.9, Revelation 21 and 2. The Bible also says that Jesus, hear me out, was made sin for us and tasted death for every man, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 2.9. So follow my logic here. When he became sin for us, he became the embodiment of sin and all its effects, in a sense, becoming the fiery serpent himself. He became sin for us. Do you see that? So as the people looked upon the serpent of brass, they were healed. They could see that the serpent was immobilized and powerless and could not harm them. How many ever been bitten by a bronze snake? It's not going to happen. So this is a type of the complete victory over Satan obtained by Jesus through the finished work of the cross. Amen. Colossians 2.15 says he paraded the devil all around hell after he had his victory over him on the cross. Amen. After he was raised from the dead, he said, it's my turn now. Amen. So the bottom line is he freed us from our sins and he freed us from our sicknesses. Both of them are represented in types as the bronze serpent hangs on that pole. And even today in the medical community, a bronze serpent or a serpent on a pole is a symbol 
of the medical establishment, isn't it not? Amen. When they do right. Okay, I won't go there. I have a few comments about the medical establishment before we close, so I'll just wait till I get there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So again, the bronze serpent. Jesus said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, I have to be lifted up. And the reason I have to be lifted up is so that the redemptive work of Christ could be done and it would be a complete salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.19, we're going to wrap it up with this. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that we should glorify God in our spirit and in our body, which are God's. We place a lot of emphasis on the spirit, and we should. But we also need to know that your body was made by and belongs to God. He cares about his property. This is the way that I think about it. You guys have heard me say this before. God is a fellow tenant in the temple of the Holy Spirit here inside me. He lives in here, but he's more than just a tenant. He's my landlord. And as my landlord, he is responsible for helping me take care of this body, of this temple. Amen? So I trust him as my great physician because he lives in me. He knows what's wrong with me when it happens, and he knows how to fix it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God knows how to take care of his property. So he showed us this truth through this teaching, through the types and shadows of the old covenant, and he plainly revealed it through the finished work of the cross. So as I said just a few minutes ago, trust Jesus to be your great physician. Now, don't get me wrong. I am for medical science. I am for doctors and nurses. But they don't know everything. So you need to listen to the Holy Spirit and have a peace about taking a particular medicine or having a recommended procedure. So I guess what I'm saying is this. When you go to the doctor, you should go to the doctor trusting Dr. Jesus first and foremost. Isn't that right? Amen. And amen. Hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Forrest's message, Healing is Yours. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, Visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.